Space Podcast. Hey everyone, this amazing ESO Network show is brought to you by our fine sponsor, Amazon.com. Please remember to shop Amazon for all your geeky needs, no matter what time of the year it is. All you need to do is go to ESOPodcast.com slash ESO Amazon. Or click on the Amazon banner on the ESO Network webpage to go to our e-store. It's the best way to shop and the best way to support this program, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. Okay, that's enough of me babbling for now. Now on with your regular scheduled show. Hi, this is Mark. Congratulations. You have found this amazingly awesome show. Chances are you're listening to it right now on whether it's iTunes or Stitcher Radio or some other mobile app that allows you to stream this amazingly awesome show to your ear holes. And I can't stress how awesomely amazing this show really is. But did you know that you can also catch the latest episode of this show on the Tangibound Network? That's right. Go check out TangiboundNetwork.com. You can look them up and you can listen to it right there. It's even mobile friendly. What more could you ask for? Which means you can pull it up on your iPhone or your Android, even your Windows phone. Yeah, who has one of those? But still, point remains, you can do it. You can do it. Check it out. TangiboundNetwork.com. Listen to this show, the latest episode, every time. Check it out. I'm Chris Farrell from the official GunnaGeek.com podcast, a proud member of the GunnaGeek Network, just like the show you're listening to now. The opinions expressed are those of each individual. Check out all the other geeky podcasts over at GunnaGeekNetwork.com and get ready because geekiness begins in 3, 2, 1. On this week's episode, Josh Peterson and I talk about the big success for Spider-Man Homecoming at the box office and give you the insight on whether or not it's a movie you should miss. We also talk the Castlevania Netflix series and if it should lead to a reimagining of the series Back to Home Consoles. We also contemplate what the best direction is for the James Bond films and is the Fast and Furious series next stop include a trip to outer space? Plus we have a clip from the latest What About This podcast, a taste from the new show Attack of the Humanicans, and another hit song from Hyperschmidt. It's a rainbow of podcasting colors we have for you today as we once again delve into the pop culture cosmos. Welcome to the Pop Culture Cosmos. And we're back with the Pop Culture Cosmos show. My name is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. I'm here along with my good friend. He is the man, the myth, the legend behind Humanican Media. It's Josh Peterson. Before we get started on all the great stuff we have going on here today, I just want to send a special thank you to each and every listener out there who listened to us for the past five months, because for the fifth month in a row, we are number one again on the podcast radio network. And it's all because of you. Our Monday show, Monday night, 10.30 p.m. Eastern, 7.30 p.m. Pacific on the podcast radio network. And are also our top 10 rated show, again, number seven, it's the PCC Multiverse. That's Friday night, 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific on the podcast radio network as well. We now total over 28,000 listeners each month on the Podcast Radio Network. We're truly honored to be a part of the schedule, and it's all because of you due to our success. So we truly appreciate it. Josh, I know he has a couple words to say out there to everyone. And then what's going on with all the great stuff at Humanica Media? 
Um, yeah, you can watch, check out the show on Tuesday nights. Other than that, like, uh, I can't promise any con- – there will be content, but I can't promise you when. I want to say there will be a new Super BS for sure. But other than that, uh, there's a lot, of, a lot of wheels turning right now. So just keep following us on Facebook, and you'll know something soon. But five months in a row, man, this is the number one show on the podcast radio network. Uh, how does it feel? Good. Thanks for listening. We appreciate it, and we love your support. And, yeah. Hey, also, if you would be so kind, uh, review us on iTunes. We would also really appreciate that. Absolutely, indeed, because if you miss the show for any reason on the Podcast Radio Network, we're available to download and stream off of a numerous array of downloading and streaming options, including, like Josh said, iTunes. And if you do go ahead and you do uh, listen to us on iTunes, please rate us and comment for us. Uh, it tells us uh, exactly what is good about our show and then also what needs to be fixed as well. But we truly appreciate either which way you get get a hold of us, either iTunes, Podcast Radio Network, and then also we've got a ton of others, including TuneIn, the Ace Podcast Network, Overcast.fm, Player.fm, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, Podcast.com, Mixcloud, the ESO Network, the Tangibound Network, and the Gunny Geek Network as well. And then also, of course, our home site, PopCultureCosmos.wordpress.com. And if you decide to stream or download the show on those options outside of the Podcast Radio Network, you will get extra content on the Pop Culture Cosmos channel. So if you do decide to do that, we truly appreciate it. And we throw in a little extra bonus just for listening. So, Josh, it's been a great weekend so far for Spider-Man Homecoming. We're going to talk a little bit about that and its great success here in a minute. We've also got some great stuff going on. We're going to talk about the Castlevania series on Netflix and how big a success that was as well and what that may lead into. Plus, we're we're also talking some... James Bond for you as well. And we talk about what direction that series should go in after some rumors are are even flying even more about the series and its imminent future as well. Also, we're going to talk a little bit about Josh's show. We're going to have a little clip from Attack of the Humanicans coming this Tuesday to the Podcast Radio Network, 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. So got to tune in for that as well. And we're also going to have a great song coming up from Hyperschmidt. Got a little of what's going to be going on with the folks at Tiny Titan Studios. Got, got an interview with Rob McCallum. Got a little bit excerpts from that with some of the guys there. And then also as well, we're going to be talking about the Fast and Furious series to close out the show. So it's going to be a great program for you indeed. We try our best to, to provide that little array of pop culture out there for you, and, and hopefully it puts a smile on your face every time you listen to us indeed. So, Josh, great weekend for Spider-Man Homecoming. We were worried about you know the box office and, and all that, but as far as going downhill, as far as the summer season, this being the worst ever, but things have definitely turned around the past couple weeks, especially with the huge opening for Spider-Man Homecoming, has it not? Yeah, I think that Spider-Man Homecoming was the movie that everybody was hoping it would be, which was good because 
everyone was kind of expecting another uh, kind of disaster in the Spider-Man arena. And it's nice to see that's pulling in such great numbers. And I'm, I'm hearing it's probably one of the best Marvel movies up to date, but I, I'm trying not to listen too much because I'm going to go see it tomorrow. Exactly. Uh, you, you You'll be like, la, 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 I can't hear, I can't hear, la, 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 you know, yeah, all that. Yeah, exactly. But you saw it, though. Is, do you think that it's it merits all the praise that it's receiving? Well, I, first off, I will have a full review by the time this goes up on the Podcast Radio Network. It'll be on our page, on our home site, popculturecosmos.wordpress.com. But I'm going to give you a sneak peek anyways. And some little kind of spoilerish stuff, but I want to try and, and evade as much as I can. So, so Josh will take off his headphones or not listen as best he can on it. But I will tell you, it's really, really darn good. Uh, it is the best movie I have seen this year so far. Uh, I will say that in a nutshell. Um, it does bring everything very, very well together for the Spider-Man series um, and upcoming as far as in the future for future iterations of Spider-Man movies. And that's to be expected. This was why they wanted to get involved with Marvel and get the whole thing going with Civil War and put Spider-Man in there at no charge or whatever deal they negotiated that was sweet for Marvel and all that and bring Marvel back into the fray as far as their their whole at least you know initial outing as far as Spider-Man Homecoming is concerned. But this really, really bodes well for the future for Spider-Man movies. It sets up a lot for those movies. If you're there going to be looking for a lot of stuff that might set up the future for the MCU and the Marvel Cinematic Universe overall for Infinity Wars and 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 all the other stuff going on, Phase 4 and all that, it's not really going to lead too much in that direction. I can't say that as far as in some general terms. But for Spider-Man movies upcoming and for various Spider-Man characters in the universe, it does... You know, it does set up a lot of things going forward or does leave a lot of open-ended things for the future as far as ways it can go and directions it can lead into. So that's one definite good thing about Spider-Man Homecoming. But I will tell you what, Tom Holland is great uh, in the role as far as him being the quintessential Peter Parker. Uh, there's just no two ways about it. He is the best example of it sorry with all apologies to toby mcguire and andrew garfield um those two guys you know they've, they've tried to do their best playing the role but tom holland is just really just you know shown that that he truly encapsulates the embodiment of what peter parker at that age a 15 year old a sophomore in high school is all about just truly does a, a tremendous job in the film of carrying it because a lot is on his shoulders, literally. I mean, if people, I, I do say in my review that if you are looking for a lot of Zendaya, a lot of uh, Happy Hogan, AKA John Favreau, uh, if you're looking for a lot of Robert Downey Jr. Uh, and if you're looking for a lot of other things like, you know, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe that it leads into, unfortunately, gonna, that part you're going to be a little bit disappointed on, but, as far as a pretty much a pretty self-contained, but I don't want to say origin movie, but as a self-contained movie that sort of embodies the spirit of Spider-Man, it definitely does a great job of that. And you can just see the love and care that Marvel coming in and working with Sony and Columbia Pictures on, it just 
that this helps so much as far as with with just you know their their little things as far as you know putting in there mixing in their easter eggs a lot of a lot of stuff that are mixed in there from the past in in the marvel cinematic universe then also as well the spider-man universe going forward as well so it's it it does sprinkle in a lot of the past MCU, but also sprinkles in a lot of uh, good stuff going forward as well. It also blends in a lot of uh, 80s nostalgia. So older people, okay, me, like me, uh, can uh, relate a lot more to the movie. Uh, also has very hints, uh, great hints of, of a lot of the, the John Hughes films gone by and a lot of 80s nostalgia indeed. And it, a lot of echoes uh, from I, maybe Ferris Bueller's Day Off and a lot of other good stuff from that era is, is encapsulated within the film as well. Just it really, really is a, a lighthearted telling of the story and and also shows the importance of Peter Parker's life, not only trying to be the hero that he truly wants to be, but also as well the the kid that he is, the high school student that he is, and how important it is being being Peter Parker, the high school student as well. So definitely uh, was a, a pleasure to watch. Like I said, it is, is for me the best film I have seen this year. So I'm definitely looking forward to seeing more iterations i have seen every iteration this century of spider-man all the five previous films but i have never left the theater excited about going seeing the next one i when i saw them it was not first weekend it was always later in the month when i when i there was just nothing else better to do and, and i just wanted to go see it just to see a fresh movie and whatnot and i came out each time disappointed yes i'm sorry spider-man 2 didn't do it for me as well i just really just not very very sustaining as far as in my memory or in my heart as far as those previous five films but with spider-man homecoming it definitely puts a good taste back in my palate when it concerns spider-man and it has me excited for the future for the spider-man series for the mcu they're going to have to look other places as far as you know, advancing that storyline. But it, for the most part, like I said, it was extremely well done in advancing the Spider-Man stuff going forward. Josh, did you have any questions for me that I can vaguely tell you without trying to go too much into Spoilerland? No. <laughs> I really don't want to ask any questions. I don't want any expectations. I think that's what happened with Wonder Woman. I think everyone was telling me how good it was, so I was expecting this, this like, killer movie, and then it just... It was, okay. it was a good movie, and and you did not say it was a bad movie. I want to put on the record that Josh never said at any time because, my gosh, when he put that on social media, people were interpreting it the wrong way. He always said it was a good film. It just wasn't the very good to great film that people were talking about, correct, in your opinion? Correct, correct. I think it's just because I went in with such high expectations. Everyone kept saying it was that good. So I don't want that to happen to Spider-Man because I, I really love the Spider-Man movies. Not so much as Tobey Maguire ones, but the Andrew Garfield ones I loved. So and see, I a lot of people love Spider-Man Two. That's the thing. You don't love the Tobey Maguire films, neither do I. But Spider-Man Two, a lot of people have a great affinity for, and consider that the best of the five so far this century. Yours is Amazing Spider-Man One, correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, I'm I'm just uh, I'm anxious to see this new one. So I'll. You know, I'm going to see it tomorrow. We can talk about it then. 
Okay, fair enough. And like I said, it's um, I don't know. It's just like I said, if you're as long as you don't go expecting it to advance the MCU part, and just making sure it advances the SCU, meaning the Spider-Man Cinematic Universe, then you're cool with it. That's the only thing I'll tell you. It does little things as far as the MCU is concerned. Obviously, it has to if you're blending in those those mixes correct i mean that that you have to least expect it has to at some point do little things as far as that's concerned but for the most part it is solely focused on trying to advance the spider-man films as opposed to moving the the marvel films and that's not saying it's bad in any way or another i just want to make sure everybody knows out there that it that it has a mission of moving the Sony films forward because it's in Sony's best interest to advance those films as opposed to the Marvel films as well. I mean, they give some love to MDMCU, but it's it's more it's more focused on the Spider-Man end of things as well. It should be because this is basically the the new start, uh, a rebooting of the franchise for the third time this century. So it definitely uh, is to my in my opinion, it is the best of the Spider-Man movies so far to this point. So uh, I'm definitely uh, appreciating it, you know, it more and more as far as I, I look back on it. And if you want to read my full review and also what, what grade I, I'm going to give it, please check out my full review, which is going to be on popculturecosmos.wordpress.com. Also, Josh is, you know, I know at some point is going to weigh in with his thoughts at some point on this week, either on the PCC multiverse or also as well one of his shows. So check out that indeed, because I know as a big Spider-Man fan going in, you're definitely going to be very excited to see it. Uh, and I think, I think, I don't want to say I, I know, and I don't want to say I'm sure, but I think you'll be be very pleased with it. Will it beat your Amazing Spider-Man one? Who knows? But it's just going to be a very enjoyable film, I think, for you and a, a great experience. So Josh has no questions, and I know he doesn't want to be led too much into spoiler land, but hopefully we can go ahead into more spoiler details on our next time we talk about this because there is a lot of stuff I do want to talk to Josh about uh, and also some little couple little things uh, that I really want to ask about that that – I want to get an opinion on um, if you have an opinion on Spider-Man Homecoming, if you've seen it already and, and you really enjoyed it, didn't enjoy it, or if there's stuff that you want to talk about, hey, just believe me, send us a message. We will get back to you definitely. PopCultureCosmos at Yahoo.com or Humanica Media, GameSource, or PopCultureCosmos on Facebook and Twitter, and we'll get right back to you because we really want to uh, hear that feedback out there, not only on our show, but all the stuff that we talk about on our show, whether or just you know a question or something you'd like us to tackle on the show as well. So definitely uh, looking forward to hearing your thoughts. And then also, Josh, I'm, I'm really looking forward to hearing your thoughts as well, indeed. So it's going to be a great show for us today. We're going to talk again, like I said, a little bit uh, about netflix and the castlevania series on it and uh it's been a great success so far but will that lead into or should it lead into back into a game series uh back on consoles as far as a reimagining or or maybe something even entirely different so we'll talk about that here in a little bit plus we'll, we'll speculate on the future for the james bond series which i know is near dear to uh, our hearts and then also as well, so, you know, a little bit of taste of, of what we're going to talk about with the Fast and Furious and 
some rumors on where that series might go as well. We're also going to be uh, playing a little taste of the latest What About This podcast. And don't forget, tomorrow, Tuesday, 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific, on the Podcast Radio Network, it is the show Attack of the Humanicans. That's Attack of the Humanicans. That's Josh's new show right there, 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific, on the Podcast Radio Network, with exclusive content for that show. Is that correct? Yes, you will get exclusive content. We'll play half of it and then uh, mix in some clips from other Humanica Media shows. If you want to listen to the rest of it, just head on over to iTunes and it'll be up there for your listening pleasure. Uh, sounds good indeed. Very, very good indeed. So that's Attack of the Humanicans, Tuesday night, 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific on the Podcast Radio Network. And, well, it, like I said, it's going to be a great episode for you today right here. But first... We've got a great song from our good friend Chad and Hyperschmidt. This is Forsaken and is playing right now on the Pop Culture Cosmos. Make me stronger I'm living without a doubt I can wait another minute longer Do you know what you were talking about? Because I think you couldn't get much stronger I'm living without a doubt Now all your followers begin to wonder Get up, we'll fight Oh, they will know that look in your eye now you know that i found my purpose now i've got this fire inside my head that's stuck in the clouds of thunder all the traps defined by the light now all your followers begin to wonder This is Chad from Ghost Toasters, and you're listening to Pop Culture Cosmos Podcast. Hey everyone, if you're in the Southern California area and are looking for the best way to improve your home, 
look no further than adding some always green synthetic grass today. Whether it's creating that awesome backyard that's kid and pet friendly, or that punting green to work on your golf game, Always Green provides installation and landscaping with only American-made products, such as their famous synthetic turf with advanced drainage technology and backed by a 15-year warranty that will have your yard looking great for a very long time. Always Green also installs retaining walls, custom lighting and driveways, and the most beautiful stone walkways, so if you live in the Southern California area, what are you waiting for? Financing is also available, so call for a free estimate today. 714-614-7814. That's 714-614-7814. Or stop by their store at 16772 Wanda Circle in Huntington Beach. And get your home looking great with always green synthetic turf and putting greens. A proud sponsor of Pop Culture Cosmos, Humanican Media, and the PCC Multiverse channels. For the latest reviews and opinions on everything pop culture, head on over to our brand new site, www.popculturecosmos.wordpress.com. And we're back with the Pop Culture Cosmos. My name is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. We truly appreciate you being part of the broadcast here today. And thanks so much for making us number one on the Podcast Radio Network five months in a row. I cannot believe it when I'm saying that, Josh. I just five months in a row we are number one on the podcast radio network and we have over fourteen thousand listeners to this show each and every month and I, i cannot thank you enough i cannot believe it i have to say it over and over because i just cannot believe that we're actually this high up on the food chain when it comes up to podcast radio network i remember when we first emailed john sweeney jr the the owner of the podcast radio network and say, Hey, we got this little show, you know, we'd like to put it on the air. It's me and my friend talking some pop culture. I might get some interviews and we'll play some clips and we'll have a really good time. Can you spare an hour? And he's like, after, you know, a few tries, I was like, eh, finally put us on, gave us a chance. And, and there you go. So we truly thank John Sweeney Jr. for allowing us on the network as well. It's just, it's been truly a great time indeed. And, and of course, the biggest thanks to you, the listeners out there. So, Josh, have you had a chance to check out Castlevania series on Netflix? Because all over social media, it's been doing really, really well. I, I cannot help but say, I think when Netflix finally reports the numbers, I think they're going to be very, very happy with what Castlevania did as far as viewage is concerned. Yeah, I haven't had a chance to watch it yet, but... Yeah, I want to watch it. I've heard good things. I've been talking to people about it, and they say the animation's really clean. The story's interesting. It's not like those typical animes where you get like some really cheesy, uh, some really cheesy dialogue, and that's kind of a big turnoff for me when it comes to anime series. And that's what I was afraid of as well. That it would look really bad and sound even worse. As as you and I have both indicated, we have seen a ton of anime over the years that has really been of poor quality when it gets. Well, like a video game gets ported to the West, correct? Oh, yeah. Like, Devil May Cry. I was really, I had high hopes for that one. And then that just, the the dialogue was so bad. Or maybe it's the delivery of it. But I watched all 12 episodes and then 
I look back on, I'm like, this is just really bad because the dialogue in the games are already pretty cheesy. But so I'm, I'm grateful with a series like Castlevania had uh, writers who actually took it seriously and voice actors had a famous voice actors too, a lot of stars and HBO shows. And then also as well, I, like the Resident Evil series, which the, every time that comes out and that drops on, on DVD, it's just the latest edition. It's just really just poor quality. And it just really like just they, well, that, that's what gives about a name as far as with Resident Evil, as far as all this other stuff that goes on that they, they have these serious games and, and sometimes even a movie that, that they take seriously and, and put, everything behind it and then they have all this junk that they attach resident evil's name to whether it's game or movies and then just throw it out there and see what sticks and it's really really bad similar to what we were talking about with devil may cry but what are some of the feedback that you're hearing on castlevania when it's now on the netflix series and available to watch right now i'm hearing that it's very violent and adult oriented which is good but it's also you know, if you're trying to pull younger fans into the game itself, it's kind of it, it can be a little iffy if they're, uh, you know, their parents walk in and see them watch that. But I I love the Castlevania games. Have Son, you, uh, what are you doing? Yeah, yeah. But I mean, we need people who will take chances on stuff like that and make people take those the stories that we always loved growing up seriously again because you have you know a lot of teen writers are taking those vampire stories and just making them not scary or cool anymore but castlevania has always done a great job of taking that mythos and keeping it interesting keeping the, the characters fresh and this is a new look and i hope that it brings more games in the future because i really love those like the uh the story about the belfast clan like the last ones that were on the xbox 360 i was a huge fan of those games uh, the lord of shadows yeah, and then you have so many great iterations in the past. That's what I wanted to ask you next is with all this newfound love and newfound appreciation by younger audiences, because you know a lot of younger audiences are going to watch Netflix and whatnot, despite the violence and, and whatever else is attached to it. Let's just put it out there. We know what's going on. Do you think this is going to lead to a reimagining of either uh, some of the great games of the past series or even possibly new castlevanias to come i hope so like i would love to see i would love to see new castlevanias but i would also love to see what the old castlevanias would look like had they imagined them today in a uh a 3d i guess 3d platformer with modern uh modern graphics a modern a fresh a fresh take on it maybe they can do some things they wanted to do originally and couldn't but I think that the story in the Castlevania games is the most intriguing part about it. Never mind the the puzzles and the combats are all and the combat is cool, but it's the to me it's the story that always pulled me in just because it was dark and it had it was interesting and the characters you sympathize with them and that would be really neat to see that come to life on modern consoles. Because there's so many titles in the series that you could draw from that would make a quality reimagining. I they're doing it now with the Final Fantasy series, correct? Yeah, they're doing it with Final Fantasy VII. And even the uh, like a few of the earlier ones, like Final Fantasy III, IV, V, VI, and they have they turned them into 3D games as opposed to the, the pixelated uh, 2D uh, platform games from before. But it's still, it, it, it's still interesting. Like I would love to see them take, even back when they did Final Fantasy Origins, 
I like to see like the new opening cinematics that came with these new games back on the PlayStation 1, but if they were to take something like that and make it into a new game, I realize it would take years, but it would be fun to see. I think a lot of us would love to see those games from our childhood, especially like a, the original Legend of Zelda game. We would love to see those on on a modern console like that. You don't even need to have something new. Just give us something. Like, nostalgia sells. Like, it sells. But when it's being marketed to new people and get to get them hyped about old stuff, like, that's even better. It is indeed. And I just want to say, you know, obviously it's gotten a lot of good press and a lot of good vibes and obviously a lot of views because – Netflix has renewed it for season two. So it's coming back strong for another season on Netflix. So that tells you right there, there's a lot of keyed interest in this new reimagining Castlevania series. And who knows, it could definitely lead into something even bigger as far as either reimagining one of the great games in the series, or it could lead to an all new adventure, which would be just as great as well. Either which way, I guess we're we're not as bad uh, as far as our opinions on the reimagining of series because it has toned down in recent years as compared to when the PS4 and the Xbox One first came out. Correct? Yeah, it's it's evolved quite a bit since the originals came out. Like it, I think the originals came out on Nintendo, right? Yes, but I'm just saying at the number of reimaginings period for all game series. I mean, when the PS4 and the Xbox One first came out. There was a, a race and a rush to get all these older titles reimagined, redone, reskinned, what have you. And now we don't see that many done, as many done as is in the past. And when it's done these days, it seems kind of special now again. Like they're really, and they're really taking some care and, and quality and time into it. And now it's getting to the point where we actually would like to see some ones that game series or games that have not been reimagined done so now we're getting back to the point where well we always talk about mass effect i'd love to see those reimagined and reskinned and redone but also a castlevania series like you said it would be great if those were reimagined in some form or fashion even if a new one is made as well so it's been a great hit with netflix because they did authorize a season two so that's great news indeed what are your thoughts on the Castlevania series for Netflix, please let us know. PopCultureCosmos at Yahoo.com. Also as well, PopCultureCosmos, Humanican Media, and GameSource on Facebook and Twitter as well. You're listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos. Don't touch that dial. Wait, do, do people still use dials? So what happens when Rob McCallum interviews the guys from Tiny Titan Studios about their games, Dash Quest, and Tiny Rails? Well, I've uh, sourced a bunch of questions for both Tiny Rails, since you're producer on that, and Dash Quest, since you're kind of the head honcho on that. And you guys both made me chime in on how excited everybody has been once this was unveiled. <laughs> I'm beyond excited, and I work here late. Awesome. <laughs> we've, we've had a lot of really positive reactions to this guy on, uh, on social media, which is awesome to see. Uh, I have to say, I'm not uh, I'm not super well versed in my Miyazaki. Uh, so, Totoro. Uh, oh, you mean are we going to be cruising in the game today? That, yeah. That is probably an oversight on Andrew's part. Because, the uh, hand is just getting thrown in this way. I'm sensing the cat us. I am sensing a theme week to week. We don't have the area unlocked. 
Last week we were calling him Mana. Um, on social media, you teased a map of Asia. We have the cars today. When do we get to rail in new lands? Rail? When do we get to rail in new lands? Uh, some of these questions are getting borderline Smurf like. When do we get to Smurf over there, Papa Gwen? <laughs> Don't call him Papa I want to see you cosplay as Papa <laughs> Gwen. Uh, I've never actually seen the, uh, the headlights come out of the cat's eyes before. <laughs> Pretty creepy. Because um, <laughs> we have a bunch of different ways that Dash Quest can expand, right? It can For be sure. modes, it can be story, it, it can be, be map, it can be dungeons, it can be. So this is specifically about story. About the story mode. Yeah, about will the, the story map. mode expand? There are plans to expand the story mode. Here's an interesting question. Before you guys decided that Tiny Rails was your next game, what other game ideas were you considering and what made Tiny Rails the winning choice? Uh, I don't know that I am comfortable saying what other ideas we have because you never know when they might appear in another tiny thing. Jump to the chat here for a second. Uh, Bill the guy says, This is like listening to a Simpsons commentary, but less random. <laughs> I think that's good. How do you balance adding content that suits players that have been there from the beginning with content that's accessible by beginners? Ooh. Let's go back to the questions here. When creating enemies or gear in Dash Quest, where do you get inspiration from? You can tell us. If everyone at Tiny Titan plays AD&D on a nightly basis, I won't judge. Did you ever get into D&D as a youth or recently? I was a youth, sure. How long did the game take to make for mobile? Uh, from startup dev until launch, it was probably about four months. I love the Kappa slash Cat Train engine for the Asia Car Bundle, but I'm really curious about how you could possibly top that with future car bundles dedicated to each area. Will the Australia one have a Crocodile Train D engine? Like Crocodile Dundee, but Train D? A Dingo Cargo Car? Seriously, stop at the Cat Train and retire, retire knowing you've hit the mark. Well, first of all, uh, you got some nerve. <laughs> Play Tiny Rails, Dash Quest, and all the great Tiny Titan Studio games available now through the iOS App Store and through Google Play for Android. And we're back with Pop Culture Cosmos. My name is Gerald Glasser from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. So awesome to have you part of the broadcast here today. And Josh, I want to know your, your thoughts when you heard the rumors that, that Daniel Craig might be, might be coming back seriously to the series he once dreaded and said he would slash his wrists before coming back to, I believe was the quote, I believe was the quote, the James Bond series. I'm happy about it. I, I know a lot of people might disagree with uh, me on this. I know Rob McCallum especially, but I think that Daniel Craig has been the best James Bond that's been out there yet. I, I'm not saying he's the most iconic Bond, but I think he's the best. Like, he took James Bond and, and took him to an entirely new level, a level that we could actually take seriously. Like, they, they made him into a kind of a, a Dark Knight-type James Bond films, and those have been continually interesting because they've been building on each other. And it I, would will agree, I will agree with you on that. I think his first couple outings were kind of disappointing, and I really didn't particularly care for him at that time. But the way he has evolved, especially Skyfall, was a true brilliant piece of art. 
and I think it is the best James Bond film on record. I think that has totally changed a lot of people's minds on him as, as an uh, actor in the James Bond role. Now, that being said, I don't, I, I think Sean Connery and Pierce Brosnan would have done just as well if they were given that same kind of material, but they weren't. Uh, see, I, I disagree with you on that. Actually, it would have been interesting to watch, but I think that it just, as, as far as Sean Connery goes, the times that those Bond movies were made, if they hadn't been made as cheesy as they were back then, they wouldn't be so iconic. That's the thing. Like, it, it wouldn't have been, you wouldn't have been able to make a movie like that. And you wouldn't, and thus. I disagree, because I think Sean Connery and Pierce Brosnan have the range to do so, especially Pierce Brosnan, but Daniel Craig uh, has really done a great job in the role lately. Lately. Lately, I'll throw quantum of solace at you all day long and I don't, say yeah, that. I, don't, I didn't really like Spectre that much either, but it's yeah. I, I just think that he's the first James Bond that I could take seriously. Even Pierce Brosnan, maybe he has the depth, to, the depth to pull that off, but I just I don't see it. Like I, I just I have a hard time visioning it in my head. But I do like that these stories are all interconnected, and you feel like in these movies, James Bond actually has something to lose as opposed to oh one girl dies another girl dies i there's nothing at stake in any of these movies except occasionally his life but these new ones you actually sympathize with him and you have all these uh there's there's a lot going on there's a lot at stake so it's definitely uh brought an interesting angle to the james bond series and i would have been sad to see daniel craig at least not finish his uh his obligated five film contract that he was originally signed up for. And I know they were going to, th as it was rumored, I know they're going to throw a lot of cash at him. So it's not because Sony doesn't want him to come back because uh, I definitely feel that they do, even though there's a lot of quality actors who could pick up the role. Idris Elba, who else has been rumored for it? Tom Hiddleston, Tom, Tom Hiddleston, Tom Hardy. Tom Hardy, yes. Just, uh, I, I was like, I was Tom and Tom. I know that. At one point, the Gillian Anderson was rumored for a female James Bond. I don't know whatever became of that. It's not that they couldn't get a quality actor for it, but Daniel Craig right now fits the role very well for it. And if he can do it just one more time, I guess that's, that's what we're going to have to do indeed and have to settle for. As, as, as long as the series continues in, in some form or fashion, because James Bond... Yes, I know for a lot of people, he still fits a lot of stereotypes from the past that that a lot of people are uncomfortable with in this new politically correct environment. But for some of us that just like the nostalgia and just like the, the thrill of, of watching a good spy movie now and then, it, you know, it's it's just awesome to see the James Bond series still thriving in this modern age so it's great that that you know because we've seen franchise fatigue in so many different areas and yes specter didn't meet the same numbers that skyfall did but my gosh specter still did very well numbers wise and that's why they're continuing to make more and more james bond films so definitely some great great things indeed and josh i did want to tell you if you've not seen it yet check out the trailer for i believe it's logan lucky i think it's logan lucky yeah, have you checked out the trailer yet? I haven't. I was curious about it. I just haven't never clicked on it. It's one to see because you know why? Why? Daniel Craig. That's all uh, I'll say. Oh yeah, he's the the redneck guy. It's like the NASCAR movie. 
Yes, right? he, he played. I just I did not know this, and when I just turned on the, uh, you know, I, I know Channing Tatum was in it. I know it's a Steven Soderbergh film from the Ocean series. It's funny because they they say for the producers of the Ocean series and and not the actual one he actually won an Academy Award for. They don't mention that. But uh, Steven Soderbergh's film, uh, uh, new film, Logan Lucky, has Channing Tatum in it and whatnot. It, it's, it is about uh, you know, film, a theft film in regards to NASCAR is concerned. But interesting playing a role as far as from a, a supporting standard is concerned is Daniel Craig. And I'll tell you, once you see him in this trailer, it's wild. He, he definitely is uh, changes your perception of him as an actor as far as his range. And you can see why he, he wants to maybe veer away from the James Bond role, because if he gets roles like this and he shows off his talent like this, you know, in that brief little montage in, in the trailer, you can see that he wants to do other things than, than be able to be stuck in the same role time and time again. So uh, I can understand with that part of it. Maybe he's earned enough money in the James Bond series and it's time to move on to more challenging things as an actor for him. So I can see that. But here's hoping that that he at least will step in the role at least one more time before they get someone in there that that will hopefully do the role just as admirably. What are your thoughts on the James Bond series? And should Daniel Craig return to the role as 007 Bond, James Bond? Or do you think it's just unnecessary? Or do you think it's just a little bit shaken, not stirred? You liked how I got that in there. Let us know, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Also as well, popculturecosmos, Humanican Media, and Game Source on Facebook and Twitter as well. This is Travis from Ghost Coasters, and you're listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos Podcast. If you're tired of sifting through flea markets for rare and unique games, we can help. Retro City Games in Henderson, Nevada, only five minutes from the Las Vegas Strip, has all your favorite gaming staples, classics, and a wide selection of rare games with new stuff always appearing on our shelves. Come in and chat with Nicole or Doug about your love of games and watch as they help you complete your collection or find your childhood favorite. And don't forget, Retro City Games loves trade-ins. So if you have any Nintendo, Super Nintendo, Sega, Xbox, PlayStation, or even PC games, come in and visit Retro City Games today. Welcome to the new metropolis of gaming, Retro City Games. Once again, it goes back to love. Discipleship is love. You have to show love. You know what I mean. When what does that look like? All right. Well, let me throw this out to you because because here's what I hear you saying is a first like anything we naturally try to fix so that we can avoid. Mm-hmm. So so instead of listening, we try to fix, right? Mm-hmm. But if we would just listen, we would actually hear what the other needs in this situation, whatever the situation is. Mm-hmm. That could be with your spouse. Yeah. To listen. So you began to listen, and then you began to hear, we need eggs. But really, right, is you heard, we need friendships, we need relationships. That was the What About This podcast on the Humanica Media outlets on Podbean, iTunes, Facebook, and YouTube. Welcome to Attack of the Humanicans, a brand new podcasting experience from Humanican Media, premiering exclusively for all of you listeners out there on the Podcast Radio Network. I'm one of your hosts, Josh Peterson, and I'm joined by the notorious Eddie Sheely. Eddie, how's it going? I am doing well. Thank you for asking. 
The one thing that I, I'm really disappointed with and is when we had the housing market crisis is because they were handing out loans like candy. You could walk up and say, I make this much money. Oh, perfect. You're approved. I think this was before 2008, before the housing collapse. Yeah. Um, now they've made it with so many restrictions that, you know, people that do work really hard can't walk in like me and Kelly, who both have decent careers, who make good money and say, hey, look, this is what we make. Uh, we'd like a loan. Oh, you know, ooh, that's not enough. Um, you're going to need assistance. Uh, have you thought about a second job or a renter? Oh, it's because houses are six or $700,000 and we want 20% down. I mean, who the hell can come up with 20% out of their ass on a six or $700,000 home? You're oh, talking $100,000 down. Yeah, well, we're dude, it's we're re, we're in a time right now when and you have 30, 40 year olds still living with their parents and stuff. Like I, I went, I had a buddy of mine who I went to his house and like I, I thought that I'm sure he he has a great career as a lawyer, but I, I thought that he was. I'm like, dude, I'm really falling behind all the people I went to high school with because they're they're getting married, they have kids, and they're living in their houses. I'm finding out that a lot of them have houses that either belong to dead dead family members or they were given to them because they yeah. were just a second home. And it's crazy. Yeah, you don't feel as bad when you find that out. You're like, okay, I can, like, live. Yeah. I can live with myself now. I'm like, yeah, I'm doing okay. <laughs> well, and it sucks because it used to be, hey, you go to college, you get a good, you get a good job, and you'll be okay. But with student debt the way it is, by the time you actually pay off your student debt, you're really not... Dude, that's the myth. And I wish that teachers would stop lying to us well because that that's how they get their money is you coming to see them yeah but still i mean they no you you go the moment that you start school teachers basically get paid to lie to you all the way through 12th grade yeah when they're like well here here's an interesting one for you i you know and i found this out the hard way is you don't necessarily have to agree with what your your professor says but you better when it comes to writing reports you better be on his side because you're not you're not you're not going to be passing the class. There's some teachers that like the challenge, but most of them just want you to close your eyes, oh. listen, and just follow blindly. Yep, just, they don't want you to have an opinion. You know, I, I just, I don't know, it's crazy. The schools, I th- sometimes I think schools, especially for the younger kids, is sometimes a waste because look at your subjects like history. Dude, when I learned about Christopher Columbus in elementary school, dude was like legit awesome. He was like the founder of America. Turns out he wasn't even like, he found America by accident. And he was a total he, and enslaved people. How does that make him cool? Thanksgiving that we all celebrate. Oh, yeah. That we're all grateful for. Oh, that was the celebration after we, you know, helped a tribe destroy their enemies. That was a, and that was an accident. Then we... It's exactly. funny. And that, then we sat down oh, and ate. ate dinner with them yeah, to no, celebrate. Well, it's funny. They teach, too. They're like... The pilgrims were persecuted for their beliefs. They weren't persecuted. They were the England's undesirables. England actually paid for them to help paid for them to come over to America so they'd stop. Yeah. It's, it's, they were a weird they were a weird cult to people. Like, hey, you're not like to, you're not you know, you're not part of the church, so just go. Yeah. Hey, we'll pay for you. Here's the ship. Go. Go. And then they didn't know they'd thrive so well. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's disappointing that, you know, it, for me and Kelly to think about, I mean, we've even thought about buying a house outside of California and just renting it out because we'd be able to afford it. And then that'd be our retirement and just kind of, oh, we'll just live in an apartment here. I mean, even apartments are almost the same price as a house oh, you, payment. Yeah, you go into Huntington Beach if, and they're like 2400 a month. It's crazy. If they get rid of the down payment, you know, you put something down. People are already paying for a two-bedroom apartment in the $2,000 area range anyway. That is a house payment. Yeah. And... 
it's just incredible to me. They, you know, these people, these what it is is these apart. A lot of these apartment buffs, they're you know they were passed down through families. Well, you know, grandson doesn't want to own the apartments anymore, so he sells them. Management company from another state comes in. Oh, it's Southern California. Let's throw some paint on. We'll redo the cabinets, and boom, that's two thousand dollars. We'll eat it up. Yeah, I find it even funnier that like when you get like closer to the beach, like Huntington Beach, Costa Mesa. Oh no, you guys don't need central air conditioning. Just open the window, you get an ocean breeze. Yeah. <laughs> it's still hot. Attack of the Humanicans coming this Tuesday to the Podcast Radio Network, 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. Thanks for checking out the PCC, you know, the pop culture cosmos. We'll be back in one moment. Hey everyone, check out what happened recently on the Pop Culture Cosmos Show and the PCC Multiverse. It's been all over the pop culture news. The sudden exit of the directors of the Han Solo spinoff film. And who should step in? It's Ron Howard. What do you want to see from a Han Solo movie that intrigues you the most? The Kessel Run. How he met Chewbacca. And yeah, there's all that stuff would be cool to see, but I don't have anything. I'm like, yes, I really hope they see this. So, And I'm, I think that's working to my advantage because I'm going to go into this movie without any expectations and hopefully I'm going to come out blown away by it. For the latest interviews, opinions, reviews, and analysis on everything pop culture, check out the Pop Culture Cosmos Show, Mondays, 10.30 Eastern, 7.30 p.m. Pacific, and the PCC Multiverse, Fridays, 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific, on the Podcast Radio Network. Or subscribe today on over a dozen streaming and downloading options. And we're back to close out the show. This is the Pop Culture Cosmos. My name is Joe Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. I'm here along with my good friend. He's the man, the myth, the legend behind Humanica Media. It's Josh Peterson. And before we close out the show on a little bit of a different note, I should say, Josh, what's going on with the all-new show, which we got a taste of earlier, Attack of the Mannequins? It'll be on Tuesday night. Yeah, we'll have a brand new podcast where you can listen to the first half of it. And uh, attached to the other half will be two clips from other Humanica media shows. And then if you liked it, you can listen to the rest of it by heading over to iTunes or Podbean or wherever you get your podcast from. And that's going to play tomorrow night, 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific on the Podcast Radio Network. It is Attack of the Mannequins. It is going to be a great show for you, definitely indeed. And then also, don't forget our Friday show, we'll return the PCC Multiverse. That'll be on 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific on Friday on the Podcast Radio Network as well. Did you read that little thing that, that I saw our, our good friends at MovieWeb uh, posted about uh, the possibility in an interview that was done by one of the uh, people behind the Fast and Furious series that it may delve into outer space? Yes, I did. Um, I don't know how I feel about that. I got to watch the new one still, but yeah, it's kind of... I, I don't see them not doing it, but I would kind of like them not to do it because then you kind of... It's Fast and Furious rides that campiness that they have. They ride the uh, the cheesy action shots and all that good stuff. And I think once it goes to space, it's going to be the death of the franchise. Kind of like when Jason went into space in that Friday the 13th movie. It's going to be just like that. And people are going to be like, oh, hey, this idea is so funny. And now it's stupid. That's how I feel about it. <laughs> 
I remember that Jason going to space and they're on the spaceship and ah, people dying and whatnot. That was, uh, I mean, it was, it was really bad. It, it was on, on the layer of bad. Yeah. I think it was, it reached very high up on the list. Indeed. Uh, it was, uh, definitely a stinker but if it does go and delve into even outer space where they're dealing with satellites or or even trying to get into a space station or trying to either do like a, a space jet duel or or whatnot a rocket duel and like the absurdity for fast and furious only can go so far i mean we have seen virtually everything that we could possibly see in the Fast and Furious series when it comes to vehicles and whatnot. So definitely the challenge is there for them in this ninth iteration coming up. So I can understand why the temptation would be there to do something, you know, really outlandish like outer space. But I too am hoping they'll they'll kind of stay away from it. But knowing that series, Josh, I wouldn't lay odds against it. I would say it would be a, at least a decent chance they could tease something or actually even have a segment emanating from from beyond the realm of Earth, so to speak. So I wouldn't be surprised to see it. But then again, like I said, the Fast and Furious series is based off of the ridiculous and the absurd and that's why people like it because you can just shut off their brain for a little while like like i did when i watched it and just try to enjoy how many different ways they can do stunts or how many different things they can do to cars or vehicles indeed and and all the crazy stuff and the crazy stunts that they do so going to outer space i'd say it's not a long shot i say it it's a definite possibility it can happen and would it be the best thing for the series? No, I don't think it would be the best thing for the series as well. And I'm totally in agreement with you on that realm. But you were saying? I don't think that it would be a smart move. I think it would be the nail in the coffin. It reached that level of ridiculousness where people would be tired of it. That whole thing with Michelle Rodriguez, I think the future of the Fast and the Furious franchise is unclear right now. So I think it'll end at 10. If I have to guess, I think it's going to end at 10. That's what they're saying, but, you know, when things start making money. Uh, anyways, I, I don't want to see it go to space. It would be it'd be a novelty, but once you go to space, that's it. There's, like, nothing There's nothing else. Like, I don't even think people would stick around to see, like, a two-parter if it was in space. So, well, uh, let's hope they don't go there. Um, but if they will, it really wouldn't surprise me. What if they uh, do, like, the Infinity Wars and actually uh, end up as part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe? Also would not surprise me. <laughs> hey, it's a billion dollar franchise. You know, if, if they went on the, knocked on the door of Marvel and Disney, go, hey, hey guys, you know, uh, I know Vin kind of has this role for, for you guys already, but you know, that that's off screen, but on screen he can, you know, be right there, right in the middle and get Thanos and hit him with like, you know, that, that souped up Mustang or, or whatnot. How about it? How about it? How about it? You know, flying through the air, you know, Captain America and all that, uh, you know, battles right there for you, Iron Man and whatnot, but right in the middle of the explosions, here comes the vehicle. I could see that not happening, but that's a little bit absurd, but when it comes to the Fast and Furious series, it's definitely really out there indeed. So uh, definitely uh, 
uh, would not be out of the realm of possibility of them going into outer space, but we don't think it would be a good direction for the franchise. What are your thoughts on the Fast and Furious series? Are you done with them? Are you tired of them? Do you think it's going to 10 like we do? And do you think it's actually going to go into outer space? Let us know, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Also as well, popculturecosmos, Humanican Media, and Game Source on Facebook and Twitter as well. Well, it's been a great episode. We uh, thank you so much for being a part of it. Josh, any last thoughts before we head into outer space, into the PCC multiverse later this week on the way out? No, thanks again for listening. Uh, and please, you know, like we were saying earlier, check us out on iTunes, leave a review, rate us. That would be greatly appreciated. I know you're all riding home in your cars or whatnot, probably listen to this on the way home from work. But if you just take the time, check us out, we'd be greatly appreciative. Indeed, and we would uh, give you a shout-out if you want one indeed as well because we, we definitely appreciate all the listeners that do check in with us each and every week and the over 28,000 a month that listen to us on the Pop Culture Cosmos show and also as well the PCC Multiverse. And then hopefully as well, a, a lot of people will check in on Tuesdays, 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific for Attack of the Humanicans from my good friend Josh Peterson as well. So for Josh Peterson, this is Gerald Glassford. It's another beautiful day in paradise here in the pop culture cosmos. Don't go to outer space, please. We thank you for listening. And here's hoping you have yourself a great day. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network, your station for all things geek, classic, current, and beyond. Be part of the crew at esonetwork.com. Tangent Bound Network. Let your voice be heard. TangentBoundNetwork.com Thanks so much for downloading the Pop Culture Cosmos as a special treat. We're adding a bonus episode, which starts right now. So sit back and relax as you enjoy more awesome goodness from the Pop Culture Cosmos family. And stay tuned as more great podcasts are on the way. Thanks again for listening to us here at the Pop Culture Cosmos. Looking for the layout of a game level? Visit VGMaps.com. Stocked with hundreds, thousands of level maps for your favorite games across almost every console, VGMaps.com makes the road ahead easy to navigate. And hey, VGMaps.com was a Nintendo Quest sponsor, so we really love them and love having the site as part of the GamerCast family too. X marks the spot with VGMaps.com. All right, this week's Icebreaker is brought to you by Mason Kramer. Check out his uh, stream on twitch.tv slash glitchcat7, a.k.a. KramerVision or Kramer TV. He's actually offering cat bucks for the longer that you watch. It's points that his stream automatically generate for your participation, which is kind of cool. I got a question for you guys. We'll keep it real common denominator. What's the most out-of-the-box question you guys got this week? The question you didn't see coming that someone asked you kind of out of nowhere? Did, did I ever tell you how much I can't? Can stand? I say that one? <laughs> yeah, you can say that. What don't you like, Jay? Oh, did you see Deadpool it... yet? A question someone asked me that was like out of the ordinary that you didn't see coming. That was like I did. Of all the questions you could have asked me, I would have never expected that one. What if I were to tell you right now? I just got a message on Facebook that someone said that some flea market somewhere is bootlegging Nintendo Quest. As I show you guys the picture of the bootlegged. <laughs> 
paper map uh, tissue paper things. Should I feel honored that we're pirate worthy? I think so. I guess. I, I don't know. That's. Did, do you feel dirty? Like, because we're on the cover. Do you feel dirty that you're being, like, Xeroxed and color copied and, like, on, like, really crappy stock paper and, like, with a DVD with, like, handwritten and tender cue on it? Like, how do you feel about that? I really don't know. It's like an awkward thing that someone threw at me that I, was the least ex- thing I expected to see coming. Speaking of things people didn't expect that relate to piracy, I'll tell you what I didn't expect to happen to me this week. We we have a house guest this weekend, and for the first time in two years since the CRTC passed some sort of legislation about it, I got a letter from my internet provider warning me uh, that my IP address had shown illegally downloaded media from Viacom. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, not just that, but I got 14 of these emails. <laughs> What have you been dipping your toes in? Liar. This is not me. This our this is our house. Our house guest had a torrent program running on the computer in the background. wasn't even downloading anything, but it it hit on this, and we got like cease and desist letters about it. And the the irony of this to me is that there are plenty of legitimate things somebody could have sent me an email about at any point over the last two years. And nobody. Has. Oh yeah, yeah. Right. yeah. The the ironic part about that is your ISP is only committed to telling you that they're aware, but they yep. can't say anything else. So that was a surprise. Somebody uh, walked in to my work the other day and I'm like, hey, you look like that dude who's in that Nintendo movie. And I was like, oh, yeah? I am that dude. And he's like, oh, cool, man. He's like, I really enjoyed it. It was a really good flick. I'm like, oh, yeah, where'd you pick it up? He's like, um, I got it. And I'm like, oh, yeah? Where'd you get it from? Found it on the internet. <laughs> this week, sponsored by GlitchCut7, Piracy. <laughs> right. All right, there's our icebreaker. I didn't even get to tell you my question. That doesn't matter. Well, go ahead, you big hero. I thought it's you just not, did. It's built up now too much. My <laughs> wife turned to me and said, you drink from the hose. Welcome to another GamerCast. Welcome. Yep. What are we talking about this week? Here we are. <laughs> Good to have you here, everyone. Thanks for joining I'm us. I'm one of your three hosts, Rob McCallum, joined alongside Mr. Jay Bartlett. Hello, everyone. And Glenn Stanway. And we're all remote this time. Glenn, say hi, though. We are. Hi, everybody from scenic London, Ontario, Canada. And uh, sunny and warm... Las Vegas. You I can't bastard. believe the snow pictures I've seen from up there. It's it's I incredible. I sort of yeah. feel bad. Not really. Uh, I get sorry, an update on the Nintendo Quest DVD from the flea market. It's being sold for a dollar. My goodness. <laughs> We've made the dollar bin, boys. Yes! Woo-hoo-hoo! We're out there. Yeah. Cheap paper. Yeah, you wanted this kid. Take this. It's a Costa. It talks about tendacues. I like it. Um, I'm I'm just trying to wrap my head around going into a flea market and seeing our faces on like a bootleg copy of our movie. 
I don't know. Should I feel honored or should I feel like I don't off? know what to feel. It's weird. It's a weird emotion I'm feeling right now. I'm going to drink from the hose and think about it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I want to remind people that the box art documentary Kickstarter is going to start up mid-April. We've got a lot of people on board. Uh, At this point, I think we have 127 and some pretty pretty cool stuff that we're going to get to film. One of the folks that we have on board actually designed the Link to the Past Zelda font and the Game Boy packaging as well as the Virtual Boy packaging. So that's going to be cool to sit down with that gentleman who also worked on a bunch of the Final Fantasy stuff. Um, more people like that will be announced very, very shortly. Uh, Dash Quest is doing well. Its latest update is number one on the Apple Store, I believe. Uh, I don't know if it's number one on the Apple Store, but we made their best new games update, which is a very, very big deal for us. Um, we've been fortunate enough to do... Uh, when the game launched back in October, they made best new games, and then since I've been there, we've made best new game updates twice, and that's that's a gigantic deal. Like the installs and and the revenue just go through the roof every time that happens. So uh, we're really, 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 really uh, yeah. And uh, thanks for the heads excited. up on that open house and uh, offer for a beverage. I uh, got a lot of notice <laughs> on that one. Hey guys, come and check out our studio and grab a beer. No problem. See you at the airport. Send the private jet. Apple's sponsoring you. You can afford a jet. Come on. In in the middle of a blizzard. Yeah. No, I hope you can get to the studio next time you're in town, Rob. It'd be cool for you to kind of show where the magic happens. Well, I've seen uh, the old studio layout, which is pretty cool. But uh, <laughs> you mean just basement? Well, I tried to make it a little more professional <laughs> than that, but you know, it is what it is. Do what you got to do. Uh, Jay, what's going on with you? I'm just sitting around. <laughs> <laughs> I am like loving I'm loving doing podcasting with Josh Schmidt. I think um out of all the dudes that we met through this whole Nintendo Quest, you know, ride, he's he's definitely one of the coolest and most genuine. Um so we're having a blast. We're actually going through the Force Awakens now. I think we're on part three, just talking about each scene and just we love For Galaxy Far, it. Far Away, right? Galaxy Far, Far Away, my friends, on Podbean and iTunes. So check us out, please. Thank you. Speaking of which, I think we should probably tell people that very shortly we're going to be switching over to Podbean ourselves. Probably April 1st, we will no longer be on Podomatic. And if you're still subscribed to us via there, you'll get a little message saying, hey, you got to re-add us on iTunes or your favorite site. All our Patreon backers don't have to worry because they'll still have the repository of our archives for all the new episodes. So that continuity will be there. But uh, everybody else will have to switch over soon. So it's just it's cheaper. There's more things that we can do with it, and the interface yeah, is yeah. Awful. no no limitations on storage, is which has been a huge deal with man. Podomatic. Nothing against Podomatic. I mean, I, I got know, a few things giving... against them, <laughs> and I got a few. Things. So they've largely been great to us. But just the fact that we don't have to worry about storage constraints and that sort of thing is going to be really, 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 really awesome. And when we have so many friends and so many other people doing stuff on the network as well, just to me, it makes sense to, to help promote that community a bit more. I want to remind people that Power of Grayskull Kickstarter is still going on. If you like He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, Star Wars, 80s toys, merchandise, cartoons, 90s, 2000s, and you like to see the story of different properties being rebooted and what it takes and what happens behind the scenes to some of the stuff you know and love, you're going to want to check this out. Go to kickstarter.com, search Power of Grayskull. I also want to give a big shout out to your game source and Insight Editions for giving me this review copy of XCOM 2 Resurrection. It's a oh, oh, snap. It's a novel that bridges uh, all the events between XCOM Enemy Unknown and XCOM 2, which just uh, landed not too long ago on Steam. I'm really hoping for a console edition, but I did break it down, and I do have a Steam copy because I really want to play it. 
So I, I held off playing it just so I could read this book, and I'm glad I did. It's, it's a welcome addition to that universe. And if you want to know my complete thoughts on it, check out yourgamesource.com. Gerald and those guys are great, and they always support us and share our links. So that's fantastic. Can I ask you guys something before we get rolling here? Do you drink water from the hose? <laughs> <laughs> Guilty. What have what you guys been playing? In the last week or two, what, what games have you been playing? Oh, honestly, you want to know what I've been playing? Yeah. I've been playing Little little Samson for nice. NES. I've been playing Dash Quest. Oh, I appreciate that, Rob. Uh, no, I did install the new update. I did uh, kick that off. I haven't really sat down too much with it. I did cut the trailer for you guys, so I want to see how the new modes work. But uh, I've really just been putting a lot of time into Trials of Cold Steel still. What, what are you playing, Glenn? I'm getting into the home stretch of Witcher 3 finally. It's taken some time, but I'm I'm getting there. Is that with the extended DLC Season Pass Ultra Mega Super Witcher Edition? I have not gotten any of the DLC yet, no. So you so, know what? You're only a quarter of the way through. You're not a real fan. The continuity changes with the DLC. It pretends like the whole game wasn't there. Oh, oh great. It's like Bioshock Infinite. But don't... <laughs> what are we talking about today, Glenn? We're talking about gaming controllers. We were talking about the evolution of control in video games. This is a topic uh, you suggested over our chat recently, Rob. And, uh, I didn't think you'd take it seriously and make a show out of it. Oh, no, I totally made a show out of it. Oh. I'm quite excited by it. Okay. I hope you're excited. I can't wait. <laughs> the enthusiasm... I'm trying to decide if this recording experience is better or worse than normal. Back in my day, you just needed a stick and a button. What I want to know is if you have problems with new controllers because they don't uh, follow the same continuity as the original ones. That's why I'm a Sony fanboy, because they hardly ever change. That's funny. <laughs> Off comes the headset. Real funny. <laughs> don't have to be upset because they butchered your series, buddy. Don't get mad at me. Buddy. Oh, here we go. I'm so excited for everybody that's a Patreon follower because the stuff we're talking about now <laughs> is going to pertain to what comes later because we did a little cart before the horse. Usually we record the show and then Patreon. This time we just had like a 40-minute chat about <laughs> continuity and, and pop culture universes. Our original icebreaker kind of went off the rails, but we decided to roll with it. So, uh, Guys, this is maybe a fairly obvious question, but I want to get your thoughts on it. What What are the things that make a controller or an input device so important? when it comes to playing games. Why is it such a big deal, what you have in your hands? Well, comfort, comfort, I think, is huge. You want, you're want you going to be playing games for God knows how long, um, which is really crazy because if you think about the NES controller, that, that sucker's not so comfortable with those edges over here. You know what I'm saying, Polly? They hurt, they hurt me after a while. Yep, I agree. The ergonomics is important. Uh, it's, yeah, comfort, totally. I think ultimately it's not necessarily the hardware, but in which the how the software works with the hardware. Does that make sense? Yeah. Is that, is that jumping ahead in the outline? Why don't you explain a little more? Well, you know, the, the controller you have in your hand is one thing, but the way in which the game responds to how the controls have been mapped is another thing. You know, you can take a super comfy controller like any of our current-gen stuff. You know, the Xbox 360 controller is pretty famous. The Wii U Pro controller is nice and comfy. Um, the PS... The PlayStation controllers in general, since they're all very similar, are nice and easy to hold for long periods of time. But if the games aren't programmed for ease of control, then you feel like you're fighting that device in your hand, and you, there's a disconnect between the communication between you and the game. It, would it be fair to say, Rob, that you're you're hinting at immersion as well? 
Like, is your ability to immerse yourself in the game that you're playing down to how you're interacting with it? I don't know if that'd be fair to say, but I'll give it to you. Is that something that's a consideration, do you think? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Jay, what about you? Have you have you ever had an experience with bad controls, which has actually pulled you out of a game or kept you from being able to, to play it or enjoy it? I was just going to talk about... I wanted to bring up some of our favorite controllers. I'm sure you have that in the outline. But one controller that I could never get comfortable with was the GameCube one. I always found that that one was always very, very confusing for me. Um, And ultimately, I just didn't like it. Yeah, so trying to play, I think it was, what was the last Zelda? The Twilight Princess for the GameCube. Which is interesting, right? Because they've now since reissued the GameCube controllers... So that yeah. everybody on Smash Brothers can play with that. But that was the... I mean, the Smash Brothers on GameCube is is arguably the go-to one. That's the one everyone wants to play, right? I mean, so they brought the GameCube controller so everyone who mastered that can be you know, familiar with it and stuff. But just for me, it was just... The, 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 the C-stick and those weird controls and the Z button and, and, and the D-pad is brutal on the GameCube, man. Zed Try playing a Canadian fighting game listeners. on that. Forget it. You know, I was going to get that to a little later, but since we're talking about it already, what are what are your three least favorite controllers, Jay? Uh, CDI, Atari Jaguar, and the GameCube. Okay, why why for the Jaguar and the CDI? Uh, the Jaguar borrowed heavily from the ColecoVision, which was um, it looked like a phone, like the old school phones we used to have in our houses, you know. Or the ones you currently have, cell phones. I don't know. It was just like a dial pad. You you would put the overlay on top of the controller, and it was just it was really clunky and clumsy. I didn't mind uh, it because I thought it worked great for games like Doom or Alien vs Predator, where you could choose all your different weapons instead of cycling through them. Yeah. So I again, just, this comes down to a little bit great for that game, but for the whole library, yeah, maybe. I not. just thought it was. For me, it was just dated technology, and I get what they were trying to do. I mean, it was great back for the Coleco, but trying to bring it back in 1994, I don't think was such a great idea. Uh, the CDI, I mean, I don't even have to tell you why. It's it's absolutely brutal. It's the most non-responsive controller you can ever, ever hold, and it's brutal on your hands. It's the hardest plastic on earth. What are your three least favorite, Rob? I really don't like the Wii U gamepad. Oh, good one. It feels like I'm holding a digital cinder block from why, time to time. Why? Because you're holding like this. I got some broad shoulders, and I gotta tell you, holding that gamepad, it's like wider than my shoulders. You know what yeah. I mean? I don't feel like I've got great control over what's going on. I feel like I'm playing like a like a leapster or a leapfrog with that thing. It's just just oh, massive. I feel, like, I feel like I'm holding a cafeteria tray with that. I mean, it's cool that I can look down and see the screen. Except for when I have to look down at the screen and at the TV at the same time, which is why Star Fox was delayed again. And, you know, you've got then gyro controls that aren't great. It's not so good. Uh, Conversely, the Dreamcast controller, it's okay, but I feel really narrow with it because of the way it asks you to hold your hands. You have your hands in instead of out like some other controller. So your wrists are actually kind of pointed towards you know what? each other. The, the problem I have with that one too is do you, don't you find that the GameCube controller is very hard on your hands? I like the GameCube controller because I like the shoulder triggers. No, sorry. the dream, I meant the Dreamcast. The Dreamcast controller, like the D-pad. I remember trying to play like yeah, Street it's, Fighter it's, versus... It's, it's sharp. Whatever. It's sharp. Brutal. 
Um, and I don't know. I, I like the NES Max because it's like the first boomerang kind of controller, even though the D-pad was kind of useless on it. The fat Genesis controller is okay, but the six button is so much better. I don't know. As a third one, as a third one, I'd probably honestly say the Wiimote. You know, it's it's great for Wii Sports and other titles like that, but to use yeah, that skinny little wand on the side, which mimics the the NES pad, you know, is just like, oh. ugh. Man, try and play, and I know a lot of people have, obviously, but Twilight Princess, when you're holding the nunchuck and the remote like this. Oh, yeah, and, and like and the nothing... batteries. The batteries kill yeah. that for me, too. I'm constantly yeah. switching double A's. There's no USB plug-in to charge. There's no cradle for it. To me, the fact that the nunchuck was even a thing speaks to the shortcomings of the design. Of that the feels like a Steve Jobs type thing, right? Like, if you need the stylus, you've done it wrong when, des- when describing an yeah, item. a little bit. My three least favorite, there may be a little bit of controversy here. Uh, I am not a fan of the Genesis controller. The six button or the three button? The fat six button Genesis controller. Can't stand it. Frankly, either one of them. I just I, I feel like the the D pads are flaky on them. They always just felt cheap in my hands. They always just felt kind of flimsy, and I've had issues with buttons on a lot of them too. You you can share your opinion here. It's a safe zone, but we don't have to agree with it. I'm not a fan of the uh, the original Xbox Duke controller. Oh, the big one because it was the size of my house. Sure. Yeah. yeah. I agree. Uh, and wait about as much too. And the other one, and this is going to be the controversial one, I think. I cannot stand the DualShock. I can't stand it. Hey, I'm Which with one? you there, buddy. I never liked any of the PlayStation controllers to be. Honest. I feel like they've gotten better, but I mean, we'll we'll say the original DualShock for for the sake of argument. But I mean, I I've just I've never found those things comfortable. Yeah. I hate the D pads. I hate the fact that the analog sticks are stuck in the middle of the controller. I, I've just never been a fan. I don't find the trigger or the shoulder buttons comfortable. I don't like the PS4 one. I like the PS3 one, but there was a curve for me to get used to it. Because I, I never I, I never like had the PS1. Uh, the PS1 or PS2, so PS3 was my first entry to that. Same. PS4 is definitely Same my thing. favorite iteration of it, but I'm, I'm not a fan of the earlier ones as a general rule. My favorite are the bootleg N64 controllers. Yeah, I bet they are. The gold one. I have a sweet gold one. <laughs> Well, like the Mad Cats ones? Oh, I wish it was Mad well, Cats. Well, not even. It's like Intertech or Intech or something like that. Intertech. <laughs> yes. We're going to kickstart a company called Intertech to make third-party, <laughs> third-party controllers. And you brought it over. You, you bought it because we were into GoldenEye, which is amazing. But, oh, yeah, that's the gold controller. No, I got it with Orcarina. Oh, they gave you a bootleg. <laughs> well, you know. <laughs> <laughs> EB and their awesome bundles for launch. How can you say no to those? Oh, yeah. Bundle time. What's the earliest control method you can recall for a video game that you played? Uh, my mouth to tell Jay what to do since he wouldn't let me play any of the games. Good answer. Good answer. Good answer. Um, Let's see if that's on the board. Bing! A paddle. <laughs> a paddle. Show me. For a game called um, Kaboom for the 2600. And so they were called a paddle. It was like the dial. Um, similar to the Pong dials, but uh, yeah, that that's mine for sure. Remember that playing at my my aunt Bev and my uncle Don's house the first time I ever played games was in that basement. So I would say it's probably either traditional arcade setup with a joystick and a couple of buttons, or 
possibly even a keyboard honestly we had um we had a commodore 64 and a vic 20 and those were the first kind of game playing machines in our house so um so initially you use the keyboard we got a joystick eventually but uh but the keyboard was our primary way of playing them for a really really long time i think which was, uh after which that was the one with the uh the, sorry which was the one with the tape that played the tapes I think both of them did. did. They? The Commodore did for sure. There was there was like a cassette. Tape I, just, drive, yeah. I see. I, I was never a, a, like a, a PC gamer, so I never had any of the old like the Amigas. I remember the Amiga back in the day was like if you had that, you were. Remember how deep the buttons cool. were and how thick that keyboard was? Keyboard was like it four was inches deep. You'd, yeah. you'd push a button Seriously, and be like, like yeah. <laughs> be like reaching into the stereo box to try to find the prize. That's how deep those wedges were. <laughs> I tell you. I think honestly, after. Jay allegedly says he let me use his Atari controller. He didn't. I totally um, did. It was probably the light zapper, even before the NES D-pad, and then probably like a keyboard and mouse for like King's Quest Four specifically. How do you feel that those early control methods influenced the kind of games that we saw on those consoles and on those systems? I think you look at something like the joystick for Atari, and you you basically had a lot of single screen games where the cursor would start in the middle, and that joystick would represent the entire universe around it. So there was a 360 kind of controller that you could point in any direction and therefore go any direction within that single s- screen. I think with the D-pad, which I think started with the Game & Watch, and then it was later transferred to the Famicom. You were correct, sir. It almost felt like it wanted you to push a different direction versus giving you the option. So it, it, the controller almost indicated what to do with the D-pad. On the subject of the D-pad, Jay, tell me about your first experience with the classic NES controller. My friend Darren got a, a Nintendo long before I ever did, and he had a sleepover. It was his birthday, and so there was a bunch of us, and stayed up all night and played Super Mario Brothers, and just grabbing this controller. And I, I mean, I had a twenty six hundred, so that to me was a video game controller, and, and you know, the arcade, the, those were controllers. But this weird sideways thing with you know two buttons, I guess four total, but yeah, Super Mario Brothers, and just remembering. It was just very confusing for us at the beginning because you're used to, you know, a stick with one button. Same question yeah, for that... one. Sure, Rob. What was your first experience with an NES controller? I wasn't at Jay's house because he wouldn't let me play it. Um, actually, no, he did. I remember playing specifically Contra with Jay and taking all his lives. Um, I put the code in used all of them. Oh, <laughs> But you wouldn't let me have the spread weapon, so I think it worked out. You made me use fire. And you took the spread. No, I made you use laser. Either way. Cause, cause you, either way, Jay's, Jay's game room, Jay's rules. No, because the laser, oh! you were the power. I took care of everything, and you took care of, like, the... The death others. count. <laughs> you killed our men. Oh, Muffin. And then basically, after the first stage, it was only Jay playing. How much of an impact do you think that that controller had on the success of the NES? Changed everything. It changed everything after, because everything has a D-pad now. And even though we're kind yep. of back to the joystick-ish with our analog sticks, and that seems to be probably the the standard now, I would say. I think it's pretty fair to say. I mean, some games give you both options. The D-pad from Game & Watch, I think it was, what, 82 or 81, something like that, all the way through, up until essentially the GameCube killed the D-pad with its micro-thumbnail-sized version of it. We, uh, we had like 20 years of D-pad-controlled games. Yeah, completely changed everything. So, so here's something I do want to pick your brain about then, Jay. So you're obviously an NES expert. We saw a whole film about it. 
is a expert. I tried to make a list of different controllers for the NES. So among the things that I've got in here, we've got Rob, we have the Power Glove, uh, we have the NES Advantage, we have the NES Max. I think I guess the Power Pad would count as a controller as well, probably yeah. the Zapper. What are the good and bad aspects of all of those control methods? Well, I mean, I really was a big fan of the NES Advantage because that brought you back to the arcade style. So if you wanted to play that old school Atari way, I mean, try and playing an advantage in using your advantage with Super Mario Brothers. It's 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 really pretty cool. One downside I could think of right off the bat was from the Max, and how now cool you know. If I'm wrong, tell me, but I think it was the first controller that had the turbo buttons. And I really think that that was a mistake because it made a lot of gamers lazy, especially for stuff like Contra where you're constantly just spamming the shoot button, right? Um, power I can't remember I what came first, the the Advantage or the Max. They both had Max turbo did. options. Max they both did, did yeah. And, and, and those are two of the only examples I can think of of first-party controllers that did that too. Most of the time when you see that kind of feature on a controller, it's third-party. Yeah. I love my third-party yeah. Advantage clone. I think it's called the Quick Shot. It's like a dark yeah. brownish, maybe hint of green. has a big, giant red ball on it. It's kind of rounded I'd, edges. I used to love playing with the Advantage. It had a big metal base on the bottom. So you really had to have kind of a table. And I remember I used to have like this almost like TV tray that I would stick on either side of my chair. And so it really felt like the arcade. And I remember when... I was in a serious game mode and I really wanted to get into a game. I would use the advantage and it just, it made me feel closer to the game. I was certainly not allowed to ever, ever touch his advantage when he was in serious game mode. Yeah. I I remember when I was a kid, I had a friend who swore by his advantage. Like it's all he ever used. He, He insisted on using it. Sell me on something. Like what's the benefit of having Rob or the power glove? Like, like, what's the benefit of this as a control method? Well, the power glove uh, back in the day, and don't laugh, but it was just if you had that, you were the man. You were Lucas. You were the cool guy. And that was the only positive thing to that peripheral. I mean, it, it's absolutely broken. Rob and I tried to use it, and it was, I mean, your hand cramps. You're doing this and twisting and turning, playing Rad Racer, and trying to jump in Mario. Forget about it, man. Like, I mean, you, you... by comparison, when it comes to, like, other control methods for the NES, the power pad was light years ahead of in terms of functionality compared to the Power Glove. And, and something like Stadium Events World Class Track Meet, it, it plays so well. Like, I can't believe how well and responsive the Power Pad is. Um, the only drawback is, of course, it's just for that game or, you know, for a handful of those workout games. But, uh, yeah. So with all those different control options out there, why do you feel like the original NES controller has had this lasting impact and this legacy that we still see today, even with all those other options that were available in the system. Durability. Simplicity. Yeah. It's it's just a... Elegance. It is. It's two buttons in a direction. It's such a solid, solid built controller. I have, you know, from my very first NES, I still have my controllers with my link sticker on the back. They still work today. That's a controller that I wouldn't necessarily say was built to play Super Mario Brothers, but I mean, it, it became married to that game, right? Like th- yeah. those two games go together like peanut butter and jelly. It's still weird to play Super Mario Brothers with something that isn't an NES controller. Yeah, and I think that that controller in that game 
on that system at that time together, you know, just pushed everything to another level. You had a brand new control style, a brand new style of game that were both brilliant. And yeah, it was like lightning in a bottle, baby. When we get into the 16-bit era, and you've, you've touched on this a little bit with Turbo Graphics uh, 16 already, Jay, we did see some different takes on that base concept, right, with things like the SNES, things like the Genesis. Who do you think did it best and why? Oh, Super man. Nintendo. Genesis 6-button. Uh, well, I agree with you, Jay, but what's your argument for it? The two convex, the two concave buttons. Um, so as the games became more complex, like Final Fantasy... You, you know, you were adding more buttons, but it wasn't confusing because you could feel it where you were with your thumb, the convex and the concave. Um, it was solid like the NES controller, and it just it just felt right. Um, I do like the Genesis Six button, Rob. I do, and I kind of agree with you, Glenn, whether the croissant style original Genesis controller was a little bit clunky and it was very hollow. It felt very hollow when you were pressing the buttons. I just really like the six button because it seemed to allow you to do a little bit more. It allowed for more flexibility, especially in games that came out midway through the Genesis run and everything after. And it's obviously the precursor to the Saturn controller, you know, Saturn six button, which is really nice. Um, The difference was between the two, the SNES launched with that controller. And like Nintendo usually does, they never really deviate from the plan. Whereas Sega was trying to capitalize and say, oh, great, they they have six buttons. Now we need to have six buttons. Well, they, they actually had the three, right? So they made that for Street Fighter, right? That was the, that was the initial reason why they designed yeah. it. I was going to say the one instance where it really does make sense for me are fighting yeah. games. I think the six face buttons make a lot of sense for that, and that's why you see that on a lot of arcade six setups. Yeah. Well, and day. then that's my next thing, right? Like, so it appealed to the Street Fighter crowd, but they ultimately came up with the fight stick, which is better for the fighting games. The Sega yeah. fight stick with the six buttons on that. That's, yeah. That's a great first party fight stick and jay and as you and i discovered even though i thought there was a super advantage it's not a first party super advantage. it's not no yeah yeah so they never had an arcade stick for the snes that was first party i've never really been too like particular on controllers i've always usually stayed to the one that comes packed in with the console and the reason for that was you know back in the days when we were going to everyone's house and playing i didn't want to have my super stick that i used in my my room and then go to my buddy's house and he doesn't have that and then all of a sudden I'm not as good at Tyson's punch out as I would be at my house because I don't have the same controller so I generally for the most part would stay to the factory default controller do you remember that though the actual having controllers and the whole idea of we need our own controllers really hit home when it came to Goldeneye and N64 we would would rent controllers Yeah, we'd go to Blockbuster and rent a controller for a week so on the subject of 3D gaming and the 3D gaming era. Talk about the significance of the analog stick to the current gaming environment. We kind of started out with joysticks and then we almost moved back into them again with the creation of the analog stick. What's the significance there? Super Mario 64. I mean, that... You know, how Mario in a 3D world and so much depended on... It wasn't just you know pressing it and moving. It was d- degrees of pressure that you would need to achieve the different jumps and the different heights. That could only be done through something like that. And I remember the first time Rob and I played Mario 64, I had the Japanese import. 
And we were just fascinated by the fact that you would just put a little bit of pressure and Mario would like sneak. And then you put more pressure and he would start to run. Like it was just absolutely mind blowing at the time. I think it goes back a little bit to what I said about the Atari kind of setup with that joystick where you're in the center of the world and you have all the options around you. So now it's a different camera angle. It's almost instead of a top down view where you see everything in, in two dimensions and you can go anyway. Now we're like a third person perspective or even first person perspective. We can scan the Z axis or the Z axis. You know, that's a whole nother dimension that we can explore. And the only way to do that is to cater a camera angle towards that. And I think the analog did the best representation of blending the the vertical and the horizontal plus the depth. You guys were talking about GoldenEye a few minutes ago and how when you play GoldenEye, you had to go out and rent controllers because it was really, really important that each of you have your own controller. I remember those games too where, you know, you'd have two Nintendo N64 controllers and like two knockoff ones and you'd have to fight over who got the knockoff ones because nobody yeah. wanted to use them. Or you'd have that one that had a chromey analog stick on it and some poor bastard would have to use it. Can I stop you there for a second and throw one other thing at you that I think is important to note? N64, I think, was the first Nintendo system that only came with one controller as well. By the time I got my NES, it had two controllers. Super packed in two controllers. So this was the first time Nintendo only launched with one controller. So Isn't, that, you... isn't that interesting as well? Because they had four, four controller yeah. ports for that system yeah so unless you had an n64 and clearly we didn't because we were renting it you know you didn't have a controller to bring over and even then they would all have been the same color so when we had rent stuff they'd usually be different colors and when we bought them they were different colors too just to make that easier goldeneye is arguably the first first person shooter to actually feel at home on a game console and actually be really really successful on a home game console what do you think the N64 controller had to do with that? Like, why did the N64 controller make that work, whereas something else might not have? I think it's really the analog stick. Again, being able to look in all directions and being able to invert the analog controls, knowing that some people want to play this way, other people want to play that way. Um, the shoulder buttons, too, being able to aim, I thought was a kind of nice touch. I really think that the way that the C buttons were laid out on the N64 controller really mirrored the way that you would use the, you know, WASD um, keys on a keyboard. Well, it's like a second D-pad, right? It was very much the same way. So it's strafing around corners and Goldeneye and Perfect Dark was just like second nature. It just it was so well done. That controller is just so well done. But it's also really complex, I think. Mm-hmm. You have the D-pad, which is like four buttons. You have the four C buttons. You have the analog. You have the two shoulders, and you have the trigger. I think the trigger is a huge yeah. kind of feature for Goldeneye as well. That you're not hitting an A button; you're actually hitting a trigger. But you remember the uh, the D-pad on the N64 controllers was nice and soft. It wasn't that hard, jagged plastic that the GameCube one was. It's funny you mention that because a lot of people mod their 64 controllers to use the C-stick for fight tournaments that allow mod controllers because oh, cool. it's more responsive it's it is thicker it's it's more direct it's more yeah. dynamic i think john pompa posted a picture of his uh, c stick that he imported not too long ago what's your preferred golden eye control method inverted for sure 100 percent. red controller top right screen yeah i mean <laughs> rc90 golden eye was 
I mean, at least in our group, we had our own identities, so we had our own characters, and we also had our own colored controllers that we used. So, I mean, that was just, it was something special. I mean, you don't really see that as often nowadays. But, what, do you, uh, what do you mean by control methods specifically, Glenn? Well, because they, they had different methods of control in the game, right? Like, they had different control setups. Well, I was always the up is up, down is down guy. So, I I mean, to this day, I still don't know if that's inverted or not. I can't remember, but... You're normal. My favorite one, and, and I couldn't do this when we were playing multiplayer, but they had a control option there where when you were playing single-player Goldeneye, you could actually use two separate N64 controllers, one in each hand. You used one analog stick to look, one analog stick to, to move. One trigger brought up the crosshairs, the other one shot. I didn't know that. Yeah, Holy man. Cow. And that was absolutely my favorite control method, dual analog. You must have looked like a hipster. It felt kind of goofy because you I was going to say, you yeah. must have looked like quite the hipster, cross-legged on the floor, holding two N64 spaceships in your hand. That's cool, man. I didn't know that. That's it's cool. True, yeah, it, it's, it was honestly my favorite way to play the game. Just You had the dual analog. You didn't have to sacrifice analog on either looking or aiming. So I wonder if that transferred um, over to Perfect Dark when you could add double weapons and double triggers. I'm fairly confident it's in there. You guys, Glenn? I would have thought you Jay? guys would have known better than Let's I would. Let's figure that out. Yeah, we'll have to check that out for sure. That's not so I want you to. I want you to go play Perfect Dark later today. I can do that. I can do that. See if you can figure out if that control method's in there. I've heard it said in the past, we, we talked about Super Mario Brothers and the N64 controller kind of being linked together. Or sorry, the original NES controller, I mean. Um, I've heard it said in the past that the evolution of the Mario game series has pushed Nintendo's controller design. I don't know if you guys have heard that before or, or heard that theory before. But it's like every Mario game pushes the design of what the controller needs to be. And it's almost like the controllers are built around playing that game. I think the argument could be made that the N64 controller was built for Super Mario 64. Oh, yeah. I can see that for sure. Do you guys think that's true? Like, do you think that's actually a thing? I yeah. think that I think the argument maybe ends at Mario 64 then, because I don't think the GameCube controller was really built, you know, for for Galaxy, you know, and Sunshine. Well, the, the GameCube one for Sunshine more to the, the C-Stick would be to navigate that camera. Because the the, clunk, the clunky camera of, of the 64 one was refined in sunshine, and the C-Stick was designed perfectly to rotate that. So I would definitely say that it, it evolved with the games, with the Mario games, yeah, for sure. And, and I then, also... Then Galaxy with the, with the you know, the Wiimote and the Nunchuck, for sure. Yeah, but I, again, it's just a, a Wiimote and a Nunchuck, it's just an analog stick. You could have used the 64 controller on that. In fact, you, you can could, use your you GameCube controller. But you needed, remember, you needed to point the remote at the uh, screen to shoot the stars and all that. I certainly don't think the Wii U gamepad pushed 3D World any different than the N64 controller. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I didn't really play that one too much. You're, you're missing out, man. It's, it's one of my favorite Mario games, and I know you don't like it, but you can be wrong. I'm wrong. <laughs> well, we brought up the Wii and the Wii U, so let me ask the question. Was motion control a fad? And is it over? Yes. Oh, yes. 100%. 100% a fad. 100% over. Rob? Yes. Not over. I Maybe fad, but certainly not over. I'm sure you're going to see more of that when it comes to VR. I think VR arguably is just an extension of motion control because you have to move your head around and look around and it's on you. You're not gaming, I would say, in the traditional sense where you're sitting down with a controller in your hand. Um, is at, VR going to be a fad? Maybe. 
Look at look at the failure of like the uh, the connect on the Xbox One and the the PS4 camera. Complete bombs. I definitely want to talk about VR as well, but I, I just want to ask about motion controls a little bit first. Like, what what were the good and the bad things that came out of that that period where motion control was just this huge thing with the Wii and PlayStation Move and Connect and and all that stuff? Well, simplicity, no one, right? Nobody did it as good as Nintendo. Nobody ever does it as good as Nintendo. Nobody um, does it better. <laughs> yeah, um, I would say. The good stuff, uh, you know, that came out of Wii Sports. I mean, we played bowling, me, Robin, Ferg, in, in my basement for, uh, I can't even tell you how long, constantly. That worked well, and it was amazing. Now, flip that around. The bad was that when I popped in Twilight Princess, I couldn't play with my controller in a traditional Zelda sense. And I didn't want to be waggling my hand around to swing Link's sword every time I had to fight. So that was the downside. But I loved it for stuff like Tiger Woods and for Wii Sports, but I wanted the option to switch between the two. Yeah, I mean, it's weird to base your your whole system around one concept because it never... Especially such a different concept. Now, obviously, they captured so many people that weren't gamers with it. They captured maybe the casual audience that may have been intimidated by controllers with 16 buttons or 25 buttons or button combinations. It was like the NES controller, right? We've talked about how when you flip the Wii mode on its side, it is the NES controller. It's just simple. It's a D-pad and two buttons are even more simple than that. It's just, you know, the trigger and, and moving the wand around, you know, the actual controller. It is so easy for people to pick up and play. But the downside of that is, for the people that want to play something more in depth, the system limits that depth. If ever there was a companion system to the traditional way of gaming, in hindsight, it seems to be the Wii. I wanted to talk about PC gaming a little bit. What do you think is the significance of the fact that the control method for PC games has basically not changed in decades? Well, it has, though, right? Because in the last 10 years, excuse my ignorance, all the PC gamers out there, and that would, I guess, include you, Stanway, because I know you play a little bit of Steam stuff. Um, they've adopted, like, 360 controllers, so you can actually use a, a standard, I'm using the term loosely, gaming controller instead of keyboard and mouse, though some people really prefer to use the keyboard and mouse input. Yeah, you have the option, but the keyboard and mouse is still your basic means. But of, that's of the problem, because playing, that's yeah. what throws me off. I, I remember trying to play NHL 94 with a keyboard and mouse. So uncomfortable. Yeah, I think some games it works and some it doesn't. Uh, yeah, platformers are definitely very hard to play with a keyboard yeah. and mouse. But this something is still, like, for example. Yeah, go ahead. Like the argument today is that, you know, if somehow in some way you could play... Xbox One, PS4, and PC Call of Duty together versus each other. The guy with the most and keyboard will destroy you all. I mean, that's yep. just there's a, there's an accuracy to that control method that can't be matched with a controller. I'm excited to play XCOM because I'll be using a keyboard and mouse to play a game for the first time since World of Warcraft in 2004. My buddy Zach, uh, Zach Dolinger, who I believe you know, actually uses a keyboard and mouse to play Destiny. What? He has uh, it's some sort of adapter. I can't remember what it's called, but it allows you to use a mouse and keyboard setup with 
with the Xbox One. No way, crazy. And he actually plays he actually plays Destiny with the mouse and keyboard because he just can't use a controller. Speaking of other friends, wow. while we That's contemplate awesome. that awesome thing, let's give a big shout out to all our Patreon backers. We, I feel like we haven't done that for a while. We don't have to name names because we know that there's some internet privacy stuff out there. But I want to say thank you to everybody who's continued to support us and allow the power tour to exist and all that stuff. You guys have any thoughts on our backers? Yeah, I want I want to say thank you as well, Rob. You guys are completely awesome and i'm glad that we can entertain you from week to week and um yeah i just really appreciate it thank you it's truly humbling that there are so many people who are big enough fans of what we do or hearing us do it that they would continue to to pledge money every month to kind of help us continue to 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 do this the stuff we do every week and continue supporting our projects and it's just um that's it really is humbling. That's the best word I can come up with it. But uh, you guys are the best, and uh, it really means a lot to all of us that we mean so much to you guys. And I apologize. I know it's a little out of left field, a little off topic, but I feel like y- you can never say thank you enough. So. Oh, I agree. Absolutely. Cheers. We, we touched a bit on this already when we were talking about the PC, but are, are there game genres that are just not cut out for traditional game controllers? Yeah, I, I think... Rob's XCOM is a really tough one to do on a controller, um, for the for the most part at least. I think RTSs usually don't translate that well on a controller. I think RTS is a great example, Jay. Thankfully, XCOM was turn based, and I was yeah. super concerned, man, when F- Fire Axis and 2K Games brought out Enemy Unknown. Like, how is this going to translate to a modern controller that was yeah. so point and click? Even the play, you remember playing it on PlayStation? X-Bob? Yeah, I, I I got the PlayStation One mouse, mouse specifically yeah. for XCOM, and uh, yeah. So they did a great job. It's fantastic. I know you still haven't played it. I don't think, but no, it's it's amazing, man. I mean, there's 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 bad stuff. I can think of Glenn like uh, uh, Starcraft on N sixty four is a perfect example of. Yeah. Just, you know, a traditional controller not working with the style of game. I've certainly played some games that were built for a mouse and keyboard that actually work very well with the controller. And when I'm thinking of this, I'm thinking of uh, Diablo 3. Oh, yeah. The console Blizzard Diablo 3 actually job. plays incredibly well with a game controller. I would actually go so far as to say I prefer it. Um, but there are other things like RTSs are a big one. I'm, I think of MMOs. Can I you go it, in depth on that, sorry, Glenn? Because one of my concerns about picking up Diablo 3 was that this was something that was developed for a PC environment, and now it's being ported to like a, the, the PlayStation 4 or the Xbox One. And I'm worried that I won't have enough control over switching between all my actions. And again, I'm thinking more in like in a Warcraft mindset, right? Like you got the tiles mm-hmm. on the bottom. You've got to be able to set different actions off as they go over different durations. Yeah, it's everything's basically hotkeyed to, to a controller button. But or, it works. or a combo. Yeah, it, like it, it works very, 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 very well. Um, and I was as surprised as anybody because I mean, I remember the the ill fated PlayStation port of uh, of the original Diablo, but um, Diablo three plays extraordinarily well on a modern game controller, and I, I think they did an outstanding job of porting it. I think some of the JRPGs that are coming out are getting to the point where a keyboard and mouse are going to be easier to play. There are so many. They take the Tail series, for example, right? It's it's a turn-based active combat where you have to... It's all turn-based. Like, you you know when your guy's going to basically come up next to fight, but you have to, like, 
do button combos on the time. So you've got to mm-hmm. click the attack button or you got to click the spell button or you basically have to set up how that works. And there are hotkeys again, but then some of your attacks are tethered to other partners. And then some of the way that those work and some of the actions that aren't necessarily just attack or a spell, like healing or meditating or using items and stuff like that. There's a, potentially a lot going on, especially when you have a four or six member party. You know, and you want to control all the people instead of letting AI take over. I would love to see an MMO that was built from the ground up with a controller and with voice chat in mind. Isn't that like Destiny? Uh, it's not really a... Yeah. Like a it's, yeah. it's not an MMO in the truest sense. I'm thinking of something like World of Warcraft in its current state would be unplayable with a controller. Uh, it, it just, I don't think so. The way they simplified WoW... Um, I think the it's problem... just the communication aspect of it that I think that would be the issue, right? Yeah, like, I remember playing true. Final yeah. Fantasy XI on the PS2, and you had to have a mouse and keyboard for that. Yeah, it was just completely impractical to try and play it without one. Yeah, imagine WoW on the Xbox One or the PS4. You'd have like a twenty-five man raid, and then have your headset, and imagine twenty-five people like trying to talk over each other. It'd be insane, man. But isn't the talking the same way that it would work on the PC? You'd have like 25 people. How does that work? Well, you have text chat. I know a lot of um, a lot of groups or um, guilds will use things like, you know, it was Ventrilo at the time. I, I'm sure there's other voice chat programs out there now because that was years ago. So you're using a third-party um, kind of chat. Like a voice over IP kind God, of thing. Yeah. We did that with DC Universe Online. We had to Skype together because some yeah, of these networks we are so broken. We were doing Skype on WoW, too, uh, up until uh, a couple of years back, yeah. We should get back into DC online. One last question I wanted to ask you guys. Uh, we touched on VR a little bit earlier. So I want to know what you guys think VR is going to do in terms of the way we... How is it going to change the way that we interact with our games? What do you think is the next evolution of how we're going to interact with our games as far as control goes? It's so hard to say because I really don't know what people plan to do with it. I would love to just see VR be like a different kind of chat room where you can kind of, you know, meet your friends and do that kind of things, which is why I think, you know, Facebook bought Oculus Rift, right? So they can apply the social stuff to it. As far as like gaming specifically, <sighs> I like Jason on a, a few episodes ago, I like having that separation, but that constant connection. You know? Yeah, like don't make my world disappear around me because I don't want it to disappear. I want to be drawn into something. I don't need to be <clears throat> show- showered by it and, and blanketed in it. It's cool. But I, I really if I was to make a guess now and I'm sure you guys could easily s- agree is that it, it could be very much a fad. Well, I'd like to see it. To, I'd like to see it become something like uh, the holodeck in star trek where i mean that's you go there to do that thing and, and you meet a bunch of players and you, you know you guys like play something or recreate something but you know the new street fighter that comes out the new call of duty whatever i don't want to be forced to play it in a vr setting i don't want it to be where i've got to kick and punch in order to make my character kick yeah and punch. i mean now, i think vr games could be great role-playing experiences and stuff like that i think that i'm all for that i think that'd be really cool because you go there to do that thing but if i want to play the the newest zelda in a traditional sense i should be able to do that and i'm not going to do vr gaming if i'm just looking at a theater 
of a big screen of a game that I'm controlling with a controller anyways. I'd rather just watch it on my TV screen. Yeah. You know? So it's it's all the things that are around the game world that really excite me. Like, I'd love to do GamerCast via VR. And there's apps that would allow us to do that quite easily. Already via Samsung from our good friend Todd Curtis. He's, him and I were back and forth on it. So there's some possibilities there for sure. That That's what I find exciting. The way in which, again, this technology can enhance what is currently going on in the game world. Cool, guys. That's really all I had question-wise. Do you have anything else you wanted to say on the subject before we sign off? I think the simplest thing is you don't have to constantly reinvent the wheel and dedicate an entire console to what you think might be a good idea when it already works. You know? Yeah. It already works. Don't and, and- Just don't change it when things work so well. Give us the options to let us choose. And I think that's what's what you're going to see. And you're going to, you're already seeing it in the entertainment world, right? With the, with the deconstruction of, of cable packages and satellite stuff where it's becoming a user based choice where we get to decide how we want to view things. Let us decide how we want to play. So the fact that you said Zach gets to use a keyboard and a mouse because that's the way he wants to play destiny is great. You know, that freedom is fantastic from a user point of view. You know, I love it. Yeah. I'm with you there. I just think options are totally necessary. And like I said, the controller should feel... Actually, the controller shouldn't feel like anything. It should be just an extension of yourself. You shouldn't be aware of the controller. And I think modern gaming, especially with stuff like the Wii U, Rob, like you said with Mario World where you have to blow in this and turn it upside down for that, I just think it pulls you right out of the experience. It's quite annoying, so... I think you should be allowed to play the games traditionally or enhance them if you want with the with the different controls. It's ultimately at this point, what, almost 50 years into gaming, where you notice when it's not working more than you notice when it is working. Like you'll probably have that brief moment, it's like, oh, this is really kind of organic and fluid. But more than not, you'll find yourself saying, oh man, the controls are horrible or I'm fighting with them. And a good game will always come down to great controls over visuals any day of the week. Yeah. And for me personally, it's a shame where like a masterpiece like Twilight Princess won't be touched on the Wii because I just I do not like the controls. And we, that we really played really on sucks. the Wii U. Uh, if they allow me to do traditional, absolutely. I think but, Oh, it'll be traditional for sure. Yeah. Oh, oh it, that that gives me something great to say. That we can maybe close the show on depending on how glad you want to wrap it up and we'll we'll segue to Patreon and all that stuff. Jay there is a really good chance that the NX could launch with a Zelda title. How concerned are you about a, a weird kind of controller setup scheme, much like we got with the Wii coming in and bridging the GameCube era? I, I personally feel very comfortable with what Nintendo is about to do because I think it's no secret that the Wii U is probably one of their most unsuccessful consoles. Um, and I feel confident they're going to go back to that traditional sense now even if it, even if the controller itself has a touch screen I'm, I'm okay with that as long as they just allow us to like i said play in the traditional sense so we talked about this a couple of weeks ago and jay seemed kind of nonplussed by the twilight princess hd remake but i'm actually really excited for it i think if um if it's anywhere near as good as the wind waker hd remake they did it'll be really well worth playing and i'm looking forward to getting a chance to revisit twilight princess with more traditional control because I, I did play through it on the Wii initially 
that was my first and only experience with it. And I found going back to play it again several years later was very, very difficult to do. And I will say, to, to be fair, they did re they did release it on the GameCube. I believe it was the last game released on the GameCube. Yeah, but was... they did that weird mirror thing, which really messed with me. The game was mirrored. You see, they're, they're paying tribute to that in Twilight Princess HD, eh? Are they? They're going to have the standard mode of the game, but they have a hero mode, kind of like they did in... Uh in Wind Waker where you take extra damage and you don't get hearts from cutting grass and that kind of stuff, but it's going to use the mirrored map. So you're oh. still going to have like, you're going to, you're still going to have both versions in one game, which I think is actually really cool. But that is that's very a, that's a neat cool. play on it. Yeah. I think it, that's it, very cool. It makes it canon. It ties it all in. Like it existed. <laughs> it, it doesn't ignore that release. <laughs> And I, th- I think we've got some thoughts on that. So let's segue to Patreon land. For everybody uh, that is a Patreon subscriber, you will hear an awesome Mario Warpipe sound effect. Uh, ka chunk chunk Everybody else will see at the end of the show. Remember, just for a buck, you too can be part of all the fun that happens on Patreon. And I guarantee you, since we recorded it before we recorded the chunk of this show, you don't want to miss out. Patreon.com slash GamerCast. Everybody else out there, thanks for listening on this discussion on everything Control from... Across all eras, all genres. Just a reminder, our time on Podomatic is going to be coming to an end. You, at some point, probably April 1st, on your iTunes feed or Stitcher feed, will hear some sort of message from Mr. Stanway saying, you need to re-add our SSS feed to constantly get your subscribed episodes. So it'll be maybe a small transition, but you'll get used to it. It'll be fine, and then you'll be... Good to go. Patreon backers don't have to worry about any kind of transition issues or headaches like that. So for myself, Rob McCallum, thank you for the video game rock star, Jay Bartlett, his quote of the week, the one thing you've been waiting to hear every episode. He's about to say it right now. Here it comes. Get ready. Here it is. Jay. Tetsu Leach. Good to see you. Do you still really call him Han Solo now instead of Han? Han Solo. <laughs> I do remember on the phone today. I was like, I remember that part with Han Solo. I was like, whoa, wait a minute. <laughs> Never called him Han Solo in my life. It's funny. And Glenn Stanway producing and editing. Thanks so much again, guys, for listening and for all of your incredible support. As always, uh, love doing this for you guys, and we uh, love the fact that you enjoy listening to us and our wicked, bizarre rants. Speaking of love, it's actually Valentine's Day when we record this. Let's just want to say I love you guys. So much. I do want to say happy Valentine's Day to my Valentine, Mike Sharon, so kisses. <laughs> oh, it's so good. <laughs> <laughs>